Hey, it's Mark. Healthcare has not been spared from the wave of layoffs sweeping through the tech sector since earlier this year. Last week, Verily Life Sciences, the healthcare unit of Alphabet, announced its intent to cut about 15% of roles for more than 200 employees. The Verily layoffs marked the first major staff cuts to affect Google's parent company since many of the world's largest tech companies, from Salesforce to Amazon.com, began slimming down as the business landscape snaps back from the pandemic. The reorg underscores the hurdles facing these non-incumbents as they seek to break into the healthcare industry. It's also another sign that, contrary to the popular sentiment a few years ago, when fears of big tech taking healthcare by storm were rampant, the narrative has been much more nuanced. My colleague Jack O'Brien talks with Story Health CEO Tom Stannis, who co-founded Verily and ran software projects like its virtual diabetes clinic on Duo, for his take on the recent layoffs and what they mean for the industry in a broader sense. Also on the tech front, I spoke with Molly Hu, CEO and co-founder of Element Biosciences, a former Illumina and Pacific executive. And uh, the company recently announced the availability of human genome sequencing for as little as $200. And I spoke with her about price slashing trends in the genetic sequencing sector and where it's all headed. And Lesh is here with a health policy update. Hey, Mark, today I'll provide an update on the federal government's long-term COVID strategy, from announcing the official end of the public health emergency to the FDA's recent decision to make the newer Omicron-specific vaccine the standard. And we'll finish up with our segment on healthcare social media. Jack, what's on tap for this week? So this week is a continuation of the story surrounding Damar Hamlin, which began about a month ago when he collapsed on the field during Monday Night Football after suffering cardiac arrest. Luckily, he's recovered and is neurologically intact, and he's parlaying that frightening incident into a critical call for action by teaming with the American Heart Association to launch the hashtag three for heart challenge. So we'll go through that and see how it compares to other like-minded efforts, such as the ALS ice bucket challenge that was rampant during the 2014 summer. I'm Mark Iskowitz, Editor-at-Large, and welcome to the MMM Podcast, medical marketing media's show about healthcare marketing writ large. Tom Stannis is an engineer by training who came into healthcare later in his career. He worked at Google in the company's early days, but after a freak cycling accident landed him in the ER, which then led to a life-saving diagnosis of kidney cancer, he had the epiphany that he wanted to help people lead healthier lives rather than, in his words, click on ads and buy apps. His entree into healthcare consisted of co-founding Verily, Google's healthcare division, where he ran software projects including on Duo for diabetes management, another for detecting a disease that causes blindness, and other science-related projects. He now runs a company that builds AI technology into the EHR and other things to assist med device and pharma companies. Jack, you spoke with Tom about the recent Verily layoffs. The company, according to news reports, is paring back its wide variety of projects to focus on research and care. As the company's former head of software, what was Tom's take? Yeah, I was lucky to talk with Tom about Verily, and obviously he hasn't been at the organization for a number of years, but we got to look back on how he started in healthcare. Obviously, he referred to the car accident that kind of spurred his entire interest into healthcare. And when he was reflecting on the Verily layoffs, he kind of put it in the broader context of what we've been seeing in terms of other big tech layoffs and basically saying it's not unique necessarily to what Google is going through and rather a, a sign of where the market is in terms of the recession, other challenges that we're facing. Yeah, I mean, I, I've been out for about three years now, so I have no insider knowledge about exactly how this is playing out. What I will say is that, uh, yes, macroeconomics I mean there's layoffs happening everywhere right now as people are looking at, hey, we need to focus more 
uh, focus is good. Uh, and how do we drive a business, right? Uh, that's the thing that I think over the last few years, like capital was cheap and it was very easy to, to expand and build out. Well, the capital has gotten a lot more expensive all of a sudden. And so we have to be a lot more focused and a lot more discerning in the projects that we take on. So I don't see anything specifically to Verily that's, that's unusual there. Like it's, it's just kind of same story you're hearing from every tech company, frankly. Do you think that this kind of points to maybe some continued contracting pains? I know everyone keeps saying like, what, at what point of the recession, if we even are technically in a recession, are we at? And what does that mean for companies? Is this something you expect to continue to see from other you know, health tech organizations over the next few months? Or are we in for a soft landing? I was kind of curious from a leadership perspective. Well, I mean, if you talk to our investors, for example, you will hear, I hear very clear from them that like, uh, raising money right now is very difficult, right? So you can imagine that's dramatically different than it was a year ago when we were in one of the biggest booms in digital health that has ever happened. So uh, the number of unicorns that were probably overfunded uh, is is definitely there has to be some sort of reckoning that's going to happen there. Uh, and that's I think that's going to definitely take up at least a year to unwind, right? Uh, in many ways, it's actually a good thing for the industry for us to kind of mature a little bit, be a little bit more more rational. What is a what is a good business model and what is not? And I, believe it or not, for me, it helps in terms of just finding the right talent to to power all of these efforts that are going on. Uh, it got to the point at the end of 2021 where you couldn't you couldn't find anybody to hire without paying enormous salaries, right? And now we're starting to see that rationalize a little bit, where like uh, the, where there's there's less capital out there chasing fewer uh, a lot less talent, which for me, that helps a lot to be able to build my business. The other thing about your interview that I thought was really interesting was that it's no secret that staffing issues or healthcare is melting iceberg. One international nursing group predicts that some 4 million nurses are set to retire by 2030. Meanwhile, the World Health Organization projects that by 2050, the world's population of people aged 60 years and older will double to 2.1 billion. But as plentiful as those dire stats are, real solutions are harder to come by. Tom had an interesting take here, didn't he? Yeah, basically what he said was that adding ancillary players to the team, such as medical assistants and health coaches, can help physicians and nurses work at the top of their license, which is something that, you know, in my previous role of covering acute care in hospitals is something that I've often heard a lot of people talk about in terms of wanting those sorts of solutions or capabilities. So you add that automation from technology and it's possible to help bring more care to patients with fewer human resources. In that regard, he spoke about Story Health, which is the company he's a part of now, and the recent announcement is part of a partnership with Intermountain Healthcare, the large uh, system out in the Mountain West. And here he is talking about how that's an example of how tech can help physicians scale what they're doing. Yeah, actually, we have a big announcement today that we just announced a partnership with Intermountain in uh, uh, as a, a, a which is a you know huge healthcare system uh, run out of Salt Lake City, but in seven different states with thirty more than thirty hospitals to bring our platform to their cardiovascular service line. So we're really excited about that partnership going forward and being able to help all the patients that they care for today and help them scale up what their clinicians are actually capable of doing. So that's a big thing that, that you'll see and you'll probably hear more from us about that throughout the year as we as we scale up Story Health to, to help more patients out there. Uh, that's, that's what my dream is, is I, I talked to some of our patients who say that uh, where they came in and where they ended up are, are completely different, where uh, we see, you know, on the average, like 40, 50% of our patients say that 
they are not satisfied with their, how their disease is being managed and they do not feel confident and they, they, they feel that the disease is impacting their day-to-day every day. Like they just can't do the things they want to. To When they come out of our programs, they feel like, hey, there's somebody watching out for me. There's somebody taking care of me. And I feel like the disease is not nearly as limiting to me now that I actually have the right treatments. And, uh, and I, if, when I do have challenges, there's always somebody there to help me. So that that is a big transformation we've been able to empower through what we're doing. And we're going to do that for more and more patient, patients this year. Illumina made a splash last September, saying it can read a person's entire genetic code for as little as $200 with its new sequencing machine, the NovaSeq X-Series. Another competitor, Ultima Genomics, earlier in the year said its machine could sequence a genome for just $100. The price slashing trend continued into this year at the J.P. Morgan Healthcare Conference, where genetic sequencing firm Element Biosciences joined the fray, announcing the availability of human genome sequencing for as little as $200. Mali Ha, CEO and co-founder of Element Biosciences, a former Illumina and Pacific executive, explained the company's business model, which is designed to be uniquely flexible. What we're doing is essentially offering a genomic buffet to our customers. So, so our customers will pay a set uh, fixed price quarterly, and they can try it out for a quarter, and we'll ship you a certain number of kits. And then you start to use the kits just like the way you're eating a buffet. The more you eat, the more the less, you know, a crab leg or whatever a chicken drum will, will cost you. So that's the model we're, we're we're offering, and it's not limited to any applications. People can do whole genome, whole exome, single cell, you know, anything you can think of. No restriction. It's really about the utilization. How many kits you consume. You can. It's not restricted by application. So the one thing that I think your question is about, what does it enable, right? What does our uh, $200 genome or equivalent enable? I think we're enabling a very unique business model that was not enabled by any other players, including Illumina. Because this is all about flexibility, right? Because Illumina, in order for customers to get $200 genome or equivalent, they have to sequence at least 64 whole genomes on one flow cell in one run. So I call that like, you know, economics of scale, right? So basically you, you, you're buying a bulk, so therefore you get a cheap price per sample. In our case, you only need to run three genomes or equivalent at a time and still get into that kind of costs profile. So essentially that kind of flexibility will allow customers to deploy multiple instruments across different sites. It doesn't have to be centralized anymore. They can get closer to their customers, to their patients, as close as possible, while still enjoying the great economics of scale, without the scale, and much higher data quality. With DNA sequencing becoming ever more economical for usage from clinical trials and cancer management to developing precision medicine and companion diagnostics, I asked Molly about her vision for democratizing genomic sequencing. So that's what we're trying to get is increased access of sequencing. Hmm, interesting. And uh, what, what's the price uh, for the equipment and how easy is it for yeah. your existing customers to kind of um, access this lower price point? Yeah, so our equipment is two eighty nine thousand uh, each, but when people buy more than three, 
it will be two forty nine each. So essentially, you know, seven fifty thousand dollars gets you three instruments. Um, the three instrument throughput is going to be about the same as Nova Nova Seek. Um, yeah, about the same as Nova Seek, depending on the which flow cell you're looking looking at. Um, but the capital equipment is cheaper, right? So seven fifty instead of a million. Hmm, okay, and for, uh, three, yeah. for three, right, right. Yeah. So you you mentioned Illumina a couple of times. They announced two hundred dollars genomes last year for their Nova Seek X series. But as I understand, it's not immediately available. Um, I think Bloomberg had a story that said that they were starting to um, fulfill orders for that earlier this year. Um, another company, Ultima Genomics, as you know, earlier this year or last year, said its machine could sequence a genome for just a hundred dollars. Putting yeah. pressure on other companies. Talk about you know the uh, how you know the space um, and you know where you see Element kind of fitting into to the panoply of, of, of competitors here. Yeah. So we we when we launched the company, we specific we actually deliberately made a business decision that is we want to make a sequencer that combines the best features of the entire Illumina's fleet um, because Illumina has three major platform uh major platforms right low end and mid throughput and high throughput so we wanted to combine you know the best data quality that was uh, my seek a while back when we started a company and the best output that is next seek because majority of applications are falling into next seek type of throughput okay but the best cost has come from comes from the factory sequencer that's NovaSeq because it, it, it enjoys economic of scale because you sequence so many, you, your, your unit price is low. Hmm. We wanted to have the best data quality, the best throughput, the sweet spot the throughput, and the best pricing into one instrument so that customer don't have to choose instruments to get to you know diff, different benefits they want to have. So that was the, the fundamental uh, business positioning. And, you know, I, I think you, you were asking about how we're going to be different. And I will come back to the econ economics of scale, right? When, when you plot out all sequencers, Illuminas and Ultimas and everybody's onto plot, the X is output, how many samples you can run the y-axis is the cost per sample. Very miraculously, all of them line up as a straight line. As you increase the uh, throughput, you drive down the cost. That that what we call is economics of scale. And Ultima is nothing different. It's basically extension because it requires even higher mm -hmm. throughput on one flow cell to get to kind of dollar genome. So Element completely jumps off that curve we're no longer on the same curve because we are at the smallest throughput but at the factory scale you know price per sample nobody else can achieve that so because there's a lot of technical innovation you know going behind that and i think we're super proud of that so people ask me like hey can you scale too to enjoy your own economic scale the answer is yes absolutely it's just going to be a different line different trajectory and right now, we really wanted to, you know, increase the access of sequencing so that we pick this throughput that's ideal for 90% of the applications, right? 
Mm-hmm. But in future, you know, if we want to pivot to even higher throughput, we can totally do that with no restrictions. Okay, great. And this is appropriate, as you said, for 90% of applications, you know, whether it's, um, you know, a, a genomically based biotech company or a research institution, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, I think I think a NovaSeq type of scale is great for um, population sequencing, right? Because many, many, many uh, whole genomes or whole exons, I think that's something the smallest scale throughput machines cannot do. Other than that, you know, the next seek type of instrument, or a VD, our instrument can handle pretty much all applications. And my burning question, could every primary care physician one day have a DNA sequencer in their office? We are interested in kind of talking a little bit about our vision is, you know, to my point earlier, DNA just one piece of the story. We really wanted to provide most accurate answers with the least amount of resources that our customer is going to spend. So what that means is that can we actually provide um, multi-omic solution, not just DNA, but also RNA, but also look at the proteins as well for the same patient sample, right? And all can happen in one box, in one type of uh, analysis, and with much higher confidence um, to interpret the results. Health Policy Update with Lesha Bouchak. Last year, President Biden casually declared the pandemic over, but now it's official. The White House announced this week that the national and public health emergency will officially end on May 11th. The end of that emergency designation means the federal government will no longer be buying up vaccines, COVID tests or treatments to provide them to Americans for free. It will also lead to other pandemic-era benefits disappearing. For one, millions of people on Medicaid are expected to lose coverage starting this spring. A COVID-19 relief provision that prevented states from dropping people from Medicaid during the public health emergency will no longer be in effect. Still, the White House is branding the end of the public health emergency as a wind-down so people don't feel like the rug has been pulled out from under them too quickly. In tandem with that announcement came the FDA's decision last week to officially recommend that the newer, updated version of the vaccine, that's Omicron-specific, be the standard choice moving forward. Their goal is to simplify vaccination guidelines and improve communication as the virus becomes endemic. The FDA also discussed how it would go about getting people updated shots every fall, like the annual flu, but has yet to vote on any proposals. I'm Lesha Bouchek, senior reporter at MMM. And this is the part of the broadcast when we welcome Jack O'Brien to tell us what's trending on healthcare social media. Social media, Instagram, TikTok, Twitter, YouTube, social media update. Hey, Jack. Hey there, Mark. Like I was talking about at the top of the show, our segment here is going to focus on Damar Hamlin. And luckily, he's recovered from the incident that happened during the Bills-Bengals game back at the start of January. And again, he's really taking the attention that was focused on that and turning it into something positive by partnering with the American Heart Association to launch the hashtag 3 for Heart Challenge. 3 is obviously his number, and the challenge itself involves three simple steps. First, people are to go to heart.org slash three to watch a short video detailing how to apply hands-on CPR. Second, people donate to the American Heart Association to fund CPR education, training, and other life-saving programs. 
And third, people share the challenge on social media by tagging three friends with hashtag three for heart on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, or LinkedIn. To kick off the social media effort, Hamlin challenged the GOATs in his mind. Former NFL quarterback Tom Brady, former First Lady Michelle Obama, and Los Angeles Lakers star LeBron James. In less than 24 hours, Hamlin's videos received more than 1.2 million views on Twitter. And it's really interesting when you look at how this challenge has been constructed and the similarities that you see with the ALS Ice Bucket Challenge from back in 2014, which went viral and ended up raising more than $135 million for research into ALS, also known as Lou Gehrig's disease. And it's something that, you know, if we had had this conversation maybe a year ago with DeMar Hamlin, I don't think that he could have thought in his wildest dreams that he was going to be the face of this movement to raise awareness for CPR. But it's it comes at a critical time. As much as people have really recognized the value in what it did for him and saving his life on the field that night, less than 3% of Americans receive CPR training every year, according to the American Heart Association. So obviously there's you know a lot to be done in terms of getting more people to be capable in terms of this life-saving uh, protocol. Sure. Yeah. And it's fascinating, A, that, you know, people like DeMar Hamlin, when they come along and in a totally unexpected yet wonderful way, you know, help galvanize the public around a health issue. And B, you know, that this um, issue of of a lack of training and awareness of the importance of CPR training to um, cardiac, you know, saving people's lives from cardiac arrest. There was such a low um, amount of, 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 uh, you know, competency there, you know, across the board, you know, that's also shocking. Uh, So, uh, you know, good and good for the AHA, you know, which as we know, has, has its long running go red effort um, and and other, you know, marketing efforts underway to, to, you know, partner with Hamlin to raise awareness of this uh, important cause. Absolutely. And it's interesting too, that he obviously he named off his goats that he's challenged for the, uh, the social media effort, but but also Nancy Brown, who is the American Heart Association CEO, didn't waste any time either. She challenged media personality star Jones, Grammy-winning musician Will I Am, as well as Emmy-winning actress Susan Lucci. So it seems like it's getting off and running. We'll be curious to see how that goes in the next few weeks if it starts to take off, like we saw with the Ice Bucket Challenge. But any effort really to raise awareness for something like that. And obviously, again, we just think back to what happened that Monday night in terms of the consistent effort, the 10 minutes that those emergency responders were on the field trying to revive his heartbeat is something that I think we can all, uh, you know, for lack of a better phrase, take to heart. Yeah. Uh, and I, I love those challenges, you know, you know, th- throwing down the gauntlet as it were, you know, to, to the goat, Tom Brady uh, and, and others. Uh, and it's, it'll be fun, you know, for the rest of us to watch and see, you know, whether, whether they take it up or not. And uh, you know, the, the ice bucket challenge, you, know, you talk about that from 2014 really is held up, as one of the premier uh, efforts, if not the premier you know, publicity efforts, uh, you know, user generated in um, in healthcare. Uh, I, I think, as you pointed out, raised about 150 million dollars for ALS, and uh, you know, people still talk about that to this day. You know, uh, uh, holding that up as the example. Because you can't, you know, uh, really plan. You know, when when a you know one of these uh, people are going to come come along, like a Demar Hamlin, and you know, in unfortunate circumstances, kind of create a cultural moment that crosses over into, into medicine. But uh, you know, really great to see you know the, the collaboration there, and uh, look look forward to, to seeing how that develops. Absolutely. That's it for this week. If you like this episode, please give it a thumbs up. Better yet, subscribe on your podcasting platform of choice and help others discover the show. The MMNM Podcast is produced by Bill Fitzpatrick, Deborah Stahl, Bradley Weems, and Gordon Failer. Our theme music is by Sizzy M. Sohn. We're out every week. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.